Cup of Go for July 28, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Jonathan Hall. And I'm Adelina filling in for Shy. Hi, Adelina. Good morning. Good morning. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here. Last time I tried to do this show by myself, it was it was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you asked me, I immediately accepted. Awesome. So hopefully that inspires other people to also want to volunteer. Yes. Great. Well, let's get started with the news. Uh, fresh off the presses this morning, Go 1.20.7 and 1.19.12 have been pre-announced. So as you can guess, this is a security-related fix, and it's all about, uh, we don't know yet, it's a private security fix. Uh, so the CVE has been announced, CVE 2023-29409, for all of the playing CVE bingo at home. Uh, but we'll find out on Tuesday, August 1, what it actually fixes. Uh, related to that, there have been a couple fixes uh, announced in the X-Image TIFF and X-Image HTML uh, packages. So be sure to update if you're using X-Image TIFF or XNet HTML or Go. If you're using any of those three things, <laughs> be sure to update come Tuesday. Yeah, I never remember to update until the vulnerability checkers tell me to. So mm-hmm. this is a good reminder, everyone. Yes. So that's it for releases uh, this week. But we have a lot of other things to talk about. Adelina, you were excited when you heard about the new range proposal to range over integers and functions. Would you tell us what it's about and why you like it? Yeah, so Russ Cox wrote this really cool proposal. So instead of us writing like old timey for loops, we can now for range n and it'll go, the, the for loop will go from one to n. And that'll like help, Russ Cox was saying that he, it'll help collapse a lot of for loops, even in the standard library. But also it'll, you know, it's a more, when you're able to do that, it's a sign of a more mature language. So I was really excited about that as well. And then you, he's also discussing implementing yields. So you can go for and then yield a function that can be called later. So mm-hmm. that'll also add to the shorthand capabilities of Go. I do wonder, so the for range will definitely make code more readable, which we know is one of the huge principle in Go, right? Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if the yield will be more difficult to understand for newcomers um however you know like as the go community grows and matures i think it's important to have more advanced capabilities that we can take uh, make use of but yeah i think it's cool and i uh, ross cox always writes really cool proposals so if anyone hasn't checked the proposals out or read them then they're also a great learning opportunity when you see how he arguments and how he like lays forward a case that's absolutely true so I had personally mixed feelings on this one. Uh, my first observation is I wish it was two proposals Oh, because <laughs> I would like to discuss them independently. But that's fine. I mean, they don't necessarily have to be uh, accepted uh, together. I have mixed feelings about the integer one because it's doing something that I feel like kind of goes against the Go ethos of there's one right way to do things. Now there's suddenly two ways to do ranges. So, I mean... It, I'm annoyed by writing for I colon equals blah, blah. You know, that's annoying all the time. Um, my other concern about that is what if I want to count backwards or if I want to start at three and go to 10? Why don't they just put like a spread operator there so I can say range one dot dot 12 or range 12 dot dot minus 16 or something like that? If we're going to go that the effort of adding the integer, why don't we go a little bit farther and make it arbitrary ranges? But whatever. And then on the on the functions, um, my main thought there was I don't understand this. Like conceptually, I like the idea. But the, as far as as far as the specific syntax, I was confused, and I wasn't the only one. I saw a lot of comments on that proposal. Would you give us some concrete examples about how this works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll go back and read it again and pick up some of those examples and see uh, 
what I think. I think this, yeah, the syntax does look a little bit weird with the yeah. function. So yeah. that's what I was saying as well about readability. But I think it's cool. Yeah, I agree that it would be nice to have like a lower bound and an upper bound. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that we specifically need the counting backwards. Um, because it's if you could just either, write yeah. like a normal loop, like, okay, if you want to count back. I mean, you could always index 10 minus I if you have to in your loop, if, if you yeah, really need to go yeah. backwards anyway. So it's not a big deal. You're right. When I first started writing code, I wrote from one to less or equal to N because that's how it works in mathematics, right? Yeah. But yeah, now I've told you my dark secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, as they say, off by one errors are one of the most common errors in programming. <laughs> so that's what we have to talk about for uh, proposals. But we have some conference news. Um, I'm excited to announce. Uh, I, I shouldn't say I'm announcing because... I heard it secondhand, but GopherCon Singapore is coming up in November, uh, November 2 through 3, and CFP is open until August 14. So you have about two weeks. If you are in or want to be in Singapore in November and want to talk about Go, be sure to submit a, a proposal. Uh, we'll have a link, of course, in the show notes. I've never been to GopherCon Singapore. I haven't either. But I think it'll always, I always get really bad FOMO when I there's a GopherCon and I don't go to it. Oh, yeah. So um, I, might, I might pitch and try and go. Ooh, nice. You know, I have a dirty secret. I've never been to any GopherCon. Even the one in America. I started programming in Go after I moved to Europe. So, oh. yeah. I have been to .go. I went to the .go conference three times in Paris. But they, I think after COVID, they haven't done that one again. So, Okay. Speaking of GopherCon, the big one, San Diego is coming up. We mentioned that before. Uh, it's coming up in September. But Lightning Talk submissions are open. Uh, do you want to tell us about that, Adelina, and your thoughts on Lightning Talks? Yeah, so GopherCon, the main submission for the main talks is closed a while back and they've announced the full sessions and they've published the schedule. But there's a separate form that you can now submit for lightning talks to go to GopherCon in San Diego. Lovely sunny San Diego. So um, lightning talks are seven minutes or less. We just checked and the form seems really easy to fill in. Uh, I think lightning talks are a great way to get introduced as a public speaker because, but the one advice I would give you is focus on one thing only and really polish that message. So you could, for example, say, this is what I learned about channels. I don't know. I'm coming up with something random. But then you might only focus on really one aspect of the behavior of channels, maybe like a gotcha or something like that. Um, And then it's really like really nice to rehearse and be able to transmit a message in a really fluent way. And that's a really great skill. So I would encourage everyone to try and find something interesting or something small that they want to share with the community and give it a go. Awesome. Have you done a lightning talk before? At a yeah, yeah, and never at GopherCon. I've done 10 minute lightning talks, so mm-hmm. slightly longer. Um, and the preparation is very similar, but you yeah. just need to rehearse a lot more to get it really crisp. Um, we also do lightning talks at our, at meetups. So that's yeah. another way you can maybe rehearse. Usually lightning talks are in the 10 minute range. So then you can maybe cut down to seven minutes. Yeah. Great advice. I hope everybody listening will submit a lightning talk uh, proposal, whether you're in San Diego or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's move on. So here's a tool that uh, was announced a few weeks ago. It comes from the Go team. It's not part of the standard library, but it's, it's a cool tool. It's called Dead Code. 
And I discovered it while working on a code base that had a bunch of unused code in it. And if, if you've already used G, uh, Golang CI Lint, you've probably seen that they have an unused linter in there that detects unused code and, and just tells you to delete it. The problem with that linter is it doesn't detect unused code that's exported. So if you have an exported function uh, or, or type that's not used anywhere, it assumes it's used because it's exported. Well, this dead code tool from the uh, Go maintainers doesn't make that assumption. So it uses a particular root path, like your main package, for example, and uses that as the point of comparison and sees if code is used in that, you know, directly or indirectly. I was able to delete almost 22,000 lines of code by running this tool on this code base I'm working on. So I highly recommend uh, this tool. It's it's not really ready for prime time. Like it's under golang.org slash x slash tools in the internal directory. So it's not really intended for public use, but it is available for public use. So I do encourage you to use it. I didn't know about this. Um, and I think it's really nice. And I'm going to be using it and running it. Um, one thing I'd like to note is that Goland already had their code inspections. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, you know, if you're using Goland, you know, you might not get the result, the dramatic results yeah. they were expecting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really nice to have, again, all of these advanced things because we started with really small Go code bases, but now we're seeing bigger and bigger projects. Mm-hmm. And always the Go tooling has been the number one thing that makes Go shine. So it's important to like continue investing in it with, with projects like this. So I'm all for it. I have to say this thing also saved my butt just this last week. I added it to our CI pipeline, which is great. That way, if, if everybody on your team isn't using Goland, you still have mm-hmm. the benefit. Yeah. And I accidentally, I made a refactor and I was no longer importing a package that depended on side effects. And so several dozen functions were no longer being called. And this caught that. And I was like, why did the linter fail? Why is dead code failing? And then I look at the list. There's like dozens of init functions and other functions are no longer being called. Like, oops, I made a small mistake. So it not only helps you find code that you're not using and can delete, it can help you find code that you think you're using, but you're not. Do you know if like if it picks up on tests that need to be removed as well? I think if you do minus test, it considers tests as using the code. If you don't do minus test, then it ignores the tests. And then you end up with a bunch of code that needs is potentially not being used. But that is problematic if you have libraries that are only used for tests, for example, because it will claim that they're unused, even though they actually are. So uh, you have both modes of operation. Yeah, it's interesting. I would say one caveat to mention here. I did find a couple of false positives. Um, in particular, when using Seago, it discovered a few symbols that were unused, but that aren't actually declared in the code anywhere because it's part of the Seago uh, implementation. Uh, so there's a false positive there. And also, it doesn't seem to have at the moment any way to ignore generated code. So if you're using GraphQL or, or SQLC or something like that that generates code and there's anything unused there, there's no way to ignore that directly. So so there's a couple caveats to keep in mind. Maybe that'll get fixed once it comes out of the experimental package. I would hope so yeah. yeah well let's move on uh shall we call this a new segment we've never done this really before uh, i guess we kind of did this when you came on the show before as a guest and we talked about your new book but we've never had a, a segment where we talk about new books about go but there are two on my radar this week that i thought would be worth mentioning so the first one is called shipping go uh, it came out i think a few weeks ago and i've been reading it i'm not very far through it yet but it's about shipping and deploying your go code setting up continuous integration or delivery running tests, all that sort of stuff. Uh, to be honest, it's not a large portion of the material isn't specific to Go. And in fact, the introduction of the book says that. Like if you're writing Python or Java, most of this material is still relevant, but the examples are in Go. So it's, it's kind of nice to have one that's specific to Go if you're working on a Go team. If you're interested in this book, uh, Shipping Go by Joel Holmes, 
you can get it at manning.com since June. If you're in the U.S. or on the internet, you can get it now. If you're in certain countries, <laughs> you may not be able to get a physical copy for a while, uh, depending on where you are. <laughs> but check out that book, Ship and Go, Develop, Deliver, Discuss, Design, and Go Again by Joel Holmes. It's cool because... I'm looking at the outline. I don't have a copy yet. Um, And it focuses a lot on how to make things production ready, Mm -hmm. which I think is definitely something that is A, underrated. And a lot of the times people think that it's simpler than it actually is. So definitely dedicate time to looking into it. Definitely. Yeah, the second book that we want to mention is GRPC Go for Professionals. It's... um, published by Pact, and it's been out since July 14th, so it's still hot from the press. That's how mm-hmm. that's how new it is. Um, and it's written by Clément Jean, I think. Uh, sorry, Clément, if I'm saying your name wrong. Definitely seems really interesting. I've only used GRPC very little in my work, but, you know, if you're maybe getting started or wanting to implement it more at work, I definitely think it's technology for the future. Um, then that's one to check out. I like GRPC. I've used it a few times and I've mostly learned it during trial by fire. So having a book could be really useful. I have my PDF version of this book. I haven't started reading it yet, but I intend to. Once I've gotten through a bit of it, I'll, I'll be sure to report back. Yeah, it seems to cover Docker and Kubernetes together with GRPC as well. So it's another one of these books that like, I think will give you advice on making things production ready. I think it's it's cool to see so many new books in the Go community. I think it's really I love nice. It too. Yeah. So we have one more thing we'd like to talk about, uh, and that is a blog post by Paul Boyd. Uh, he writes a uh, blog post called Five Ways to Write a Go Database Model. And this is a nice high-level overview of different ways to basically interact with the database in Go. Um, I think we often hear the sort of dichotomy between raw SQL and ORMs. And I, it's nice to see that those aren't the only two options. There's actually f- at least five options here. <laughs> so uh, just to, at a really high level, the, the first one it talks about is just quote vanilla, which is just sort of using database slash SQL and sort of managing everything yourself. There's struct mappers like SQLX, uh, which many of you are familiar with. And I really like that one, by the way. And then SQL builders. Um, Squirrel is, is one. And there's a few others that sort of take, you sort of define your SQL using kind of like an ORM, but it, it's not a full ORM. It just does the SQL building for you. And then the last one it talks about is ORMs, but I skipped one because it's one we talked about on the show before a couple weeks ago. And that's SQLC, which does generation for you, uh, code generation based on your SQL. So these are five uh, ways to interact with your database, database model and Go. Um, and you had some thoughts on this, Adelina. I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, so the, we actually had a discussion at work where I work at Form 3, when you're using an ORM, you think that it's going to take care of all the security problems and you won't be susceptible to SQL injection. But actually, um, you can, even if you're using an ORM, you are susceptible. So it's always good to have to use prepared statements. Mm-hmm. And prepared statements are usually supported by all of whatever you're using it's supported by the um, the default or like the inbuilt sql package mm-hmm. um and that's something that we as gophers need to start being more mindful of is right how to write secure code yeah and this blog post didn't mention um these mm-hmm. kinds of aspects I think it's a really great introduction, but definitely don't just take it and then put it in, in your code base. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. This, isn't, this is not like a how-to. This doesn't tell you how to do all five examples. It gives brief yeah, examples, yeah. 
but this is not you're not going to walk away from this knowing how to do all five but it's going to be a great introduction if you're not familiar with the five different ways read the article it's just a few minutes to read it and then you'll be better educated and you can choose which models uh you want to explore further uh with other reading i haven't used this qlc i've used gorm and the sql like the actual mm-hmm. sql package um but yeah it's always really painful and verbose (laughs) no matter what you do there's also a really funny explanation at the top i think he says the database models are the bland carb in a meal (laughs) (laughs) in the meal that is your code and i was like yeah i feel that (laughs) yeah i've not used sqlc directly although uh one of the projects i'm on does use it i just haven't played with that code yet so it looks promising and uh it's getting a lot of hype so it's something i need to look next time i'm writing a database uh implementation i will be looking at that one great well i think that wraps it up for this week uh we do have a amazing interview lined up uh so stick around till after the ad break we'll be interviewing you want to give a teaser for our interview adelina we'll be interviewing my friend um from france her name is donia so she works at isovalent and she's going to tell us a little bit about her life and she also co-authored a book from manning titled learn go with pocket-sized projects so she's going to tell us a little bit about that as well i'm really excited to have her on the podcast she's so nice i'm excited too i actually asked her to come on to talk about her book and she was too busy at the time so we snuck her in i'm going to get to ask her some questions nice all right stick around for that welcome to our exciting commercial spot where we don't have commercials all the time but adelina brought a great shout out for GopherCon. tell us what uh, is going on there in london yeah so i'm one of the organizers of women who go london and GopherCon uk have graciously given us a community sponsor slot so we're gonna have a stand and um, me and my four or three other co-organizers there are four of us in total we're going to be at the booth we have some really cute stickers we're gonna have prizes so definitely come over and check out our awesome booth awesome do you have to be a woman to check the booth no you can come you can okay we're excited to meet other people in the community um explain what our mission is so for example like our mission one of our missions is to put forward women leaders and promote diversity when in fact only two to five percent of the goal community are women which is much less than the industry standard Mm. so this kind of work of awareness is very important i think we had a go meet up here in amsterdam last week and i think we had about 50 attendees and two of them were women uh, which is pretty actually that's We've had fewer than that uh, at, at times. So, um, yeah, it, it's interesting that there's fewer women gophers, I guess, than there are women developers uh, as a percentage. That's interesting. All right. Um, anyway, big shout out to Women Who Go and GopherCon UK. What are the dates for that? So the 16th of August is workshop day. And the main event is 17th and 18th of August in central London, close to the Barbican. And tickets are still available. So if you are or will be in London, be sure to grab a ticket to go for con uk in just about two weeks time otherwise we'd love to hear from you on our slack channel we are on couple go kebab case on the go for slack link in the description uh you can also leave a review for us on itunes or spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts share this show with a friend with a colleague with a student with your brother with your dog everybody we want everybody to know more about go you can also reach out to us by email at 
news at cupago.dev, or you can buy some awesome swag. We also have a cute little Brewster mascot. You can get it. We don't know if it's a male or a female. You can get our Brewster mascot on a mug at the shop at cupago.dev. Uh, it's about, I think it's US $20. So check that out. And I think that about wraps it up for our ad break. I'm really looking forward to meeting Danya in just a few minutes. So stick around for that. Hi, everyone. We're back with our special guest, Donia from France. I'm going to tell you, I am in awe with Donia. She can do everything. She's a kick-ass engineer. She organizes uh, events like diversity events. She'll tell you more about that later. And she's also an author. She is an inspiration. And I can't wait to for you all to meet her and get to know her a little bit. So how's it going today, Donia? Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm pretty well today. Uh, I'm not working, so I have a chill day coming and I'm on holidays. So that's cool. And you, how are you doing? I'm okay, I'm okay. Um, Tell us a little bit about the work you do on a daily basis then when you're not on holiday being glamorous. (laughs) So I've been joining Isovalent, which is a... cybersecurity and networking company working on a project called Cilium. Um, And um, on a daily basis, what I'm doing is basically writing Go um, to... That sounds like a holiday already. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is... Go is my comfort zone. And I would say that all the networking part is not of the job. Okay. So... I switched from backend engineer to more network and system engineer a few months ago. And it has been quite challenging, actually, because I'm missing some, like, just functional knowledge about networking. And backend is kind of always the same thing, I would say. Like, you're building API and application. And, like, here, it's, like, a new word for me. But uh, I've been onboarded with someone that is a great mentor, uh, Sebastian. So shout out to him. And I've been working since on most of the time on integration tests. So Adelina, you know what I'm talking about (laughs) and about like network policy, how you apply network policy in a cluster, uh, what are the rules that you want to do? And yeah, that's basically what I've been doing. What made you interested in switching from back end? to network engineer. Why that switch? So since the beginning of my career in 2017, I've been playing with cloud, like all the applications that we are deploying were in the cloud, GCP or AWS. And my first week of my career, I was deploying cluster. Mm -hmm. So it was something that I was like, into it since the beginning, but I didn't fully understand how it was working on the behind, you know, all the plumbery that was behind. I was just a user and writing applications in API were interesting at the beginning. But after some time, I was like, this is a conversation that we had with Adelina. Like, it's going to be repetitive. Like, you're going to have the same logic again. And I wanted to have like more new challenges and extend my area of knowledge with all these primary stuff that are behind and how Kubernetes is working, like how Linux system is actually done and isovalent, like there are really great engineers working on low database stuff, you know, that I'm, I don't know about, but someday maybe. <laughs> so I think that's why I wanted to switch, but it has been kind of 
like difficult, I would say, because I didn't have this knowledge. It's hard when you pass interviews to actually, you know, pass them and get the job. But uh, actually for the history, I applied to Isoland two years ago okay. and they actually refused me uh-huh. and they rejected me. And um, I reapplied uh, at the end of 2022. And that took me on my potential because I had the same guy. Sebastian, my, currently my mentor, that did the interview and he was like, okay, she has potential because she learned a lot of things between this time. Mm-hmm. So let's give it a try. So that's interesting. You've done public speaking before. I, I know this because I've seen one of your YouTube videos because when I reviewed your book, I had to figure out how to pronounce your last name. So I, I found you pronouncing. <laughs> so I know you speak. I'm yeah. curious how long you've been doing that. Um, so last year was my first time ever. Um, okay. And I've been doing that during the whole year. I'm kind of taking a break of it this year. Mm -hmm. But um, being in public, talking is something that I like in general, not only about tech. Mm -hmm. And being with people, that's why... Like I'm involved in local communities, but um, I feel like it's a way to share your knowledge with the community, give back to them. And at the same time, like for me to change something that I like, a personal like mm-hmm. appeal for something. So I'm curious, uh, tying this back to your application, did your public speaking, as far as you know, impact their willingness to give you a try after rejecting you the first time? Did, did that give them a boost of confidence? I would say that it's not about the public speaking because mm-hmm. I didn't talk about it actually during the interviews, but it's okay. more getting into open source projects. Mm-hmm. That is what that was important, I think. My public speaking were focused on TinyGo, which is an open source project. And I've been entering this world with uh, the Hacktoberfest, understanding how I can enter a new project that I don't know, opening PR like how to fix bugs and take issues, all this word and this code that I learned during the year, I think made like the possibility, like, and the curiosity of Isovalent to take me. Nice. I definitely think it's interesting that you asked that, Jonathan, but I definitely think that they review when they look at a candidate, they see them as a whole, they see your whole profile. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they'd like, actually seen your talks and everything you have online uh, but they just didn't tell you (laughs) probably (laughs) maybe plus you know psyllium is written in go like everything it's very you know it was super super relevant what you were talking about Mm -hmm. and all the work you did how has it been difficult getting a new job when because you know the psyllium team or the isovalent team is very distributed how have you found that it's because it's quite big actually i found it pretty easy honestly because we have the right tools it's pretty well organized even it's scaling at the moment i would say like there we had like some statistic that we have a lot of new engineers compared to the one that were like here for a few years but um people are communicating really well they're getting better our organizing roadmaps and items stuff like that and having deadlines for releases so i found it like i have a good vision of how it works. Um, I know who is working on what, like depending on the different branches, I would say, and like businesses, domains. And there is like a newbies channel. Um, this is my first time like in a company where it's so open, I would say, and everyone is like very knowledgeable. So there is a newbies channel where everyone can ask questions on any topic and you are sure that you're going to have an answer like in less than an hour. 
maybe like 15 minutes. And I found it like very valuable. That's very interesting. Like they want to help you. They want you to get better or they're going to take like 15 minutes if you want to, to learn about something. So that's really cool for that. And I finally met them in person like two weeks ago in Zurich. So that was really cool. I wanted to ask uh, about that. Uh, so I mean, I've been a remote working mm-hmm. person for long before COVID. I mean, I, I worked, I lived in Mexico for a couple of years while working for an American company. And then I was a digital nomad traveling Europe for two and a half years until I met a girl and we decided to stop traveling. <laughs> um, so I'm just curious, Doug, what's your experience with that? Obviously, you're working remote now. Was that a, something you wanted? Was that just a price you had to pay to work for this company? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I was already working actually in remote before Isovalent for a year and a half. And I've been enjoying it. Uh, I'm not alone at home. I have my partner who is mm-hmm. also remote. So I, we can take coffee breaks together, Nice, which is nice. So this is something that is a bit tricky. At the same time, like I'm really enjoying it because I have more time. I'm not in my car going to work or like commuting. So I can actually do more projects. Like that's why I had the time to do more public speaking and stuff because it's time that I can invest somewhere else. I have also doggy so I can spend more time like walking my dog and outside. But at the same time, I feel like I've been kind of isolated this year and I balance that with the meetup that I organize, the activities that I have. But it's not like an everyday relation that I'm building with people, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I am I feel I don't have the energy to build relationships how I build them with my colleagues at the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. But um, I was like, when I started my career, I made really good friends. They are my best friends now. And um, I'm co-writing a book with them. So, mm-hmm. and I really wanted to bond with people. And today I'm more like, I don't want to bond emotionally with them. I want to like really work with them and take from people, you know. Yeah, I definitely feel that as well. <laughs> but it's just because, you know, we've gone up and it's been years in this career that you kind of also change your viewpoint on your colleagues and yeah. what the importance of culture is and how you how you contribute to it. Um, so yeah, definitely feel that. Oh, and you forgot to mention that you also have your hen. Yes, I have hands. Actually, sad news. One of them died two weeks ago. Yeah, sorry for the bad news. But um, I didn't get attached to this one. It was the last one. So that's good. But um, and it's not due to the fox for the people that already listen my talks. I think she was just sick. But uh, yeah, I have hands too, actually. And we have too many eggs for the two people that we are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the hens are famous because they feature in Donya's talk on Tiny yeah. Goal. Okay. So definitely go and check it out, listeners. Yeah. So my talk was about like how I can monitor uh, my hen house, like in temperature and humidity, how I can actually do some automation with uh, the hen house, which was a very fun project. That sounds like fun. So you mentioned your book, which I think would be a good thing to talk about. Um, before we talk about the book, though, you said you are good friends with your co-authors. Do you want to talk about that story a little bit? Give us the history. Sure. So we were working together back in 2018 and uh, we were in the same team. We had a great culture in that team and they're older than me. Uh, Pascal is like 10 years older than me, you know, a few years, but they have a lot of experiences and I've been counting on them at the beginning of my career. They were like my mentors and they began my really, really good friends. 
We change like careers, we change companies, but we stay good friends. And we wanted to work back together actually on something because we love the way we work and bringing actually knowledge from what we learn outside of in our companies to each other was really interesting. What best practice you're doing, like how are you writing go? It's very different from a company to another, from a software to another. So that was really interesting. And actually, I say to Pascal, you should have a LinkedIn profile if you want to change job. So he created his profile. I did some tuning <laughs> and um, someone came to propose him to review a book at Manning. So okay. that was the beginning of entering Manning World. Mm -hmm. And after that, he proposed to Aliena and I to join as technical reviewers, like to propose our profiles. I was like, I can't, I'm so junior yet. I don't feel mm -hmm. like at ease to do that, but Aliena went for it. Finally, Manning proposed to Aliena to write a book about Go and like building tiny Go projects. Not the tiny Go we know about Go, but like little projects. And there she was like, I don't want it to do alone. I really want it to do with you. So we started this adventure with a proposal and that was the beginning of a book, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's a very interesting process um, actually to write a book. Adelina, I think you, you already talked about it like in this podcast, but um, you were alone. So I think the difference is being three. And I feel like we are a little team working on a like on a project, you know, like in the company. So we are doing all the code together. We are doing like mob programming. One is writing, one is driving, and one is taking notes. But we are brainstorming at the same time. And then we are writing the chapters more asynchronously, I would say. Like we share the different parts that we want to write. It's more when we who have time, who is more comfortable writing about that. And we review each other's work. Adding to that, we have an amazing technical editor who is Egon. And he's like a very, very good experienced engineer in many languages. So he has a lot of perspective about Go and other languages. And he's like very neat and very picky about the content that we write. So that's actually we learn a lot from him too. Awesome. Tell us about the book. What's it called? What's the content? Sure. So the book is named Learn Go with Pocket Size Projects. So the goal is to teach Go to people that are new to software engineering or that are actually software engineers, but not in Go. And to build projects, like real projects that you can run at the end of each chapter. And along the way, you're learning like new concepts about Go, but not only Go, also about best practices, about thinking about like testing and how to organize your code. So this kind of thing like that you learn along the way when you're a software engineer. I love the applied angle because, you know, like learning hands-on, I, I actually, I tell everyone that programming is an active skill, not a passive skill. So you can't just like read and then, okay, fine, I know how to do that. True. So I love the approach of building little things that then amount to big things. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like you learn something, you build something small, you learn this skill, but then you can transfer it and apply it to your actual production code. So I think it's a really cool way to teach people. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Like that's actually what we intend to do with the chapters, with the book. So definitely like when we start the chapter, we have what we're going to code and we start very soon to write the main and explain like step by step what you're doing, how to refactor your code. 
we included testing from like the first chapter uh, with the basic hello world. So we really try like to put people like to start open a directory and start a new project. And it's a way to build a portfolio as a software engineer that is new also. So mm -hmm. showing your code on your GitHub, you know, and all the projects that you built, the exploration that you're doing. So I think it's interesting on this side too. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but that's a really good one. Another thing about having these projects, someone told me recently on Twitter that he's using actually the content as workshops to teach people. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. That's really interesting. I had the same thought, actually, when I read the beginning of the, the book. So the book is not out yet, right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's scheduled, it looks like October is the expected release date, according to Manning.com. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe December. Okay. <laughs> but you can pre-order it and read some of the chapters now if you want to. Yeah. It's, it's in Meep. Me, so it's early access program for Manning. Mm -hmm. So you access the chapters along the way when they are released. Uh, there are actually six chapters and we are releasing in August, actually seven and eight. And we are currently working on chapter nine. So nice. So I read, uh, I think, the first three or four chapters uh, back in February, I think. Yeah. Um, and I really liked them. So I, I had a review on my website about that. If anybody's interested, I'll put a link in the show notes. But I'm curious, how much of the work are you doing? Is it pretty evenly spread out across the three of you? Or are they putting all the work on your shoulders and they're just like telling you the mistakes you make? How is this working? No, not at all. Uh, it depends definitely on the chapter. Uh, I would say that sometime during the event of the life, someone has more time. So, for example, I wrote most of the chapter four. Uh, chapter eight is more written by Pascal. So it really depends on how it goes. Um, I would say that Alina and Pascal are very good writers and very good in English. So their content is well written on the first draft, mm -hmm. which is not my case. So Pascal and Alina have to pass after and just reformulate some stuff. But I'm at the same time, I'm learning how to write English better. So that's a win-win for me. Nice. Yeah. I'm sure you must have learned something while writing this book as well. So can you share like maybe your biggest win as part of this learning journey? That's a very interesting question. Um, I think that I'm learning about Go, like more deep stuff about Go. I don't have like a great example right now, but about like concurrency. I think I'm not good at concurrency. It's something that I didn't practice along my career. I've been playing with your LinkedIn course, actually, and I was like struggling. But um, so chapter seven is about concurrency and Pascal wrote part of it. So I learned a lot during this chapter, actually. And this is about like the technical stuff. Otherwise, what I've been learning along the way is more practices that were uh, done in other companies, um, like logging how it was done. So Alina was working at HelloFresh. So that was very interesting because it's a huge company and they are they have like billion of users. So it was like more perspective on software. And Pascal is working in a in very small startup. So we have very different point of views on, on things nice. now. Yeah. And that's what makes the book great. <laughs> so I'll definitely buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. One of my favorite things about the book when I read the first few chapters was that you really treat testing as as a really important core concept. I'm curious how you learned that. 
Uh, we know Adelina's written a book on the concept of, of TDD and Go. We'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. But how did you learn about doing testing and, and TDD? And was it a hard thing to learn? So at, really at the beginning of my career, we were doing Go dog testing, integration testing. And um, we were actually playing with TDD at this time because we were writing the scenarios with Godog and then doing the implementation because we were defining in user stories with the PO what we wanted to do as a behavior. Yeah, so I've been learning that very early in my career, honestly. And one of the software architects was like really on point on technology and like best practices. So he was like sharing every week new tips he learned or something like for 15 minutes, you know. And so we learned a lot during this I learned personally a lot during this part of my career uh, about these practices and like testing and like unit tests was part of like the definition of a user story, you know, Mm -hmm. like you had to do the testing and you had to verify like what was the coverage and stuff. So I would say that during my career after it was not so strict about testing. Definitely not, especially in one of the startup I was in, because, you know, you just want to ship and see if it works. Otherwise, you're just going to throw the code. So you don't want to spend time on testing. And they preferred to actually spend time debugging than and fixing than testing. So that that was interesting to see both of them in my career. But I would say that today I've been working on integration tests on Isovalent and I'm doing unit tests. Like it's now something that is just automatic. So awesome. Yeah. I can imagine though that it's much more complex to integration test Cilium because it's like, for me, it's really hardcore technology. So can you tell us what tools you use at Isovalent just as a little cherry on top? (laughs) Yeah, actually, so the tests I'm I'm working on are just uh, written Go. There is like no framework or structure Mm. external library, but I know that there are some tests that are written in Ginkgo um, and um, it's kind of, Difficult, but at the same time, like, because we're using Kubernetes API, there are also Cilium API that are well-defined, they're like common line. So it's like you have the tools to build tests on it. Uh, But I would say that what is more difficult is how you can actually make error cases, for example. If an agent is down, how how do you actually make it in the test and bring it back, you know, alive to continue your suit test or some stuff like that that are kind of difficult. Oh, yeah. So all the setup is complex. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Donia, how can people follow you, reach out if they have questions uh, on social media or elsewhere? They can reach out on LinkedIn, on Twitter, um, mostly. Um, and I normally I answer. Okay. great we'll have links to the to your uh, social media in the show notes then now we've come to the part of the interview where we ask our regular questions Mm -hmm. Uh, if you've listened to the show you know what they are uh so maybe you've prepared no okay (laughs) it's gonna be a surprise all right well let's imagine that somebody puts a gun to your head and says donya you have to remove a feature from go Mm -hmm. what would you remove hmm that's interesting. One feature that is not useful, it means, probably. Probably. Or to maybe you, you don't not like useful, it. Or you don't like it, yeah. yeah. Mm. Actually, there is one that we have lived without during a long time. It's a slug package. Okay. It's the structure log mm-hmm. um, that is coming. Uh, it has been a long work for the Go team to build it, but I feel like we've been living without because other companies like Uber built already these kind of libraries that we're using. So I'm not sure people are going to switch actually to the 
standard library at some point okay. since software is always is already written and changing a logger i think it's quite heavy on a big software okay interesting take and then the flip side the other side of that question mm-hmm. what feature would you like to add to go if you could hmm. that's a good question is there something that i'm missing i'm not sure like i'm not in fact i don't know like i didn't follow what are the proposal and stuff that i'm missing so can i say i don't know you can okay there's no wrong answers here <laughs> all right Danielle. well thank you for coming on the show it has been a pleasure i've been following you on social media i think we've been following each other so it's fun to finally uh, put a, a face to the name any last words adelina oh my god i've got so many words of praise <laughs> for Danya. she's so great and she's just got this contagious I don't know, like happiness about her. So definitely follow her. And she shares so much like um, technical content as well from others. So definitely connect with her and reach out. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. We'll see you all next week. Uh, one last note, everybody. Danya just had the, the brainstorm of the features she wants to add to Go. Danya? Tell us. Yeah. So there is one thing that is not present automatically by the compiler is actually organizing your fields in a structure. Uh-huh. So this is a question that we ask actually uh, at the coffee cone, but it's not something in the radar at the moment, but that's something interesting. In fact, this is memory hack that you can do in your code, but I think no one is doing it. Because you organize your fields by like logic or like functional things. Mm-hmm. And probably like in some software, it can be critical uh, to have memory usage like optimized. Mm-hmm. So that could be interesting to have it at some point. So the, so the proposal or the, the feature would be that it automatically organizes the fields in the memory optimal way. Yeah, exactly. Oh, nice. Good one. I like it. Thanks for coming back to share that with us. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Until next time.